Take your Bibles, if you will, with me this morning and turn to Genesis chapter 3 is where we're going to start as we move into the seventh of what looks to be ten parts as we are studying the eight C's of biblical history. And as we move through these, I am trusting that you are beginning to see God's revealing Himself, God's revealing the plan of salvation more and more clearly and becoming more and more passionate about sharing it because that is really what we are seeking to accomplish this morning and what we have been seeking to accomplish over the last two months that we've been studying this. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, I will warn you, we are going to be moving through more than just one passage this morning. So kind of get your running shoes on your fingertips. We're going to run through, uh, we're going to look through some of the Old Testament prophecies. We're going to run into the New Testament, but we're going to start here in Genesis chapter 3. The issue before us today has motivated millions to stand against their government. That has led to the death of more than a few of them. It has motivated men to travel into worlds unknown and to take a message to headhunters and cannibals. It is the message that motivates me to stand before you this morning. And it should be the message that motivates you and I both to go tell. You see, what we are studying today is not just merely a Christmas story. It is what fulfills prophecy of old. It is what was promised beforehand. It was what displayed God's incredible mercy to you and I. And that focuses our central idea this morning. And the central idea is really our outline. It forms our outline for us. The promise of Christ fulfills the prophecy of old and provides for our deepest need. So that is where we are going to begin this morning. But as we get into this passage, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, as we bow our heads this morning, as we think about the text that lays out before us, as we see your plan of redemption, having studied through the other seas, we've come to this point where now we have moved into the New Testament, where we recognize that all of the history of this world comes to this pinnacle, the birth of our Savior. Lord, as we celebrate this, keep us in mind of what comes next the cross, and then the consummation. Lord, I praise you for where we have been, and I pray for where we are going this morning. Lord, give us an understanding of your text. Give me the words to say that every word would be spoken as of from you, and that your name would be lifted and glorified above all others. Lord, give us a passion. Give us a passion to reach our unsaved neighbors for Christ. Help them to hear the message clearly from us, and help them to respond. Lord, we give you the glory and the honor for it. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Time after time, as we've moved through these eight seas, we've seen men rebel. Men go totally against what God wants them to go against. When we looked at the first sea, we saw creation, and everything was absolutely perfect as God had intended it to be. But give just a little bit of time, just one simple test, and we have our second sea, man's corruption. And that is kind of where we're going to focus on to start this morning because it is there that God begins to reveal His perfect plan of redemption. You see, up to this point, man had no need of redemption because we were perfect. But at the fall, all of a sudden, our relationship with our Lord was no longer right. Corruption comes in. Man needs God more intensely than ever before. 
And then we move on into catastrophe as we saw the flood. And again, men rebel. 120 years of preaching and not a single convert. And then we move into confusion. Where men have the opportunity to serve the Lord again and yet they refuse. And in their refusal, God says, okay, you're going to obey me anyway. And He again reveals Himself to man and scatters them abroad the face of the earth. And then the next chapter in Genesis chapter 12, we have the covenant. And in the covenant, we see God graciously working through now one man that was going to become a nation, that was going to give birth to a king, that was going to give birth to a greater king, and the greater king we're going to study today. Because that is Christ. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. As we do so, I mentioned that our Central idea here forms our outline, and let me give you the outline now. The outline begins with a promise in Genesis chapter 3. This is an amazing aspect about our God. Is in the midst of the judgment, He gives us an incredible act of mercy and grace that we do not deserve. So we have the promise. But that moves us into the prophecy, and we're going to largely study this in the book of Isaiah, as we have the promised King who is going to come. We have Emmanuel, God with us. And finally, the provision in John chapter 1. We're going to kind of skim John chapter 1 as we do this. It is a familiar passage. I've preached on it before. But it is something that we recognize God now providing what He promised. Providing what was fulfillment of prophecy. And so we begin here in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 and the promise. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. And the scripture says this. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Paying special attention to the context, we first notice a few things. First, that this is after man's sin. Man has now sinned against the Lord. There is one test, one simple test, and man has failed. They ate of the fruit of the tree. So that's the first thing. We understand that this comes after that point. Secondly, we understand that the Lord is speaking to the serpent and at the same time to Satan. And third, Adam and Eve have not yet received their judgment. And in the process of that, we have a promised victor. Verse 15, let me read it to you again, now that you have the context. It says, I will put enmity, he's speaking to Satan and to the snake. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. I want to tell you at this point that I could take each one of these passages and make a sermon out of them, each one of them. And there's so much here that we're not going to begin to study. This is an opportunity for you to... Use your own Bible study skills to get into the Word of God, to study it. There is some amazing things when you understand just this one verse. But there's something that I want to highlight out of it. You see, there's a battle brewing between the seed of the woman, which by itself is an amazing study, that the seed of the woman will destroy Satan with a blow to the head. This is what I want us to understand, because Adam and Eve know that judgment is coming. They know that they're about to receive it. Satan and the serpent are getting it right now, and they know that they're next. It's, when I was a child, I remember several times where my sister and my brother and I would get in trouble. And they would, we'd be lined up. And uh, my dad would usually start with my sister, because he was generally more gentle to my sister. And, so, and usually I was the instigator anyway. So 
uh, we have my sister, and she gets in trouble, and she receives her punishment, whatever it happens to be. Maybe a spanking, it may be something else. Uh, so let's let's use a spanking illustration. She gets her spanking. Well, I'm sitting here at the end of the line, and every time that she gets spanked, there's a little bit of me that's jumping each time, right? Well, then it's my brother's turn, and he's smaller yet, so he gets his spanking, and knowing that I instigated it, I'm up next, and I'm trembling by the time I get there. That's kind of the emotion that Adam and Eve are feeling. They've got the serpent and Satan, and they're being judged, and they're being judged harshly. But in the midst of that, God says this. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise you on the head. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. You see, in the midst of judgment, in the midst of the feelings of anticipation uh, and, and remorse, God says, I want to show you something. I want to reveal part of my plan of redemption because I'm not going to leave you here. Remember, Adam and Eve are feeling emotions and feelings they've never felt before. All of a sudden, their skin itches. It had never itched before. They have begun to experience death and without even knowing it, and they've never experienced that before. And yet God's revealing His plan of redemption and victory before their judgment is even passed. This is true love, mercy, and grace, folks. God is getting to the heart of it. Despite committing sin that led to the destruction of all of creation, Adam and Eve were still given mercy as they were told of one who was to come, who was going to judge Satan. You see, what, what an incredible promise of the victor. You see, Adam and Eve, before their judgment, were promised of one who is going to come, who is going to end it all, who is going to put a final capstone on Satan and remove him permanently. What a promise in the midst of despair. And yet God takes it a step further as we move into the end of the chapter. Because God points to another aspect of it. Genesis chapter 3 verse 21, and I regret that we don't have time to study all of this, but I want you to study it all at home. Here we come to the end of the chapter. Eve has now been judged. Adam has now been judged. Verse 21 says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. You see, by understanding what happens in the very next scenario, where you have Cain and Abel and they're offering to the Lord, we can understand what this was. We can understand what took place here. Because here we have the sacrificial lamb. And we're not told exactly that it was a lamb, but the context reveals that it probably was as we move into chapter 4. But God in His mercy reveals His next act of, of redemption. He makes skins for Adam and Eve, sacrificing an animal in a creation which had never experienced physical death. Think about it. Nothing had actually physically died yet. They were in the process of it, but nothing had actually physically lost its life. Spiritually, Adam and Eve had been dead. They died the moment they sinned, spiritually. But physically, nothing had shed its blood yet. And God takes an animal, or two, and He sacrifices them. And he does it to do something that's important to you and I. And it sets up a sacrificial system. You see, the sacrificial system didn't pay for sins. It covered it. It didn't remove them. It just overlapped them. 
until the promised sacrificial lamb would come. So as God takes these animals, he's setting up a pattern, and he's setting up an emphasis. The act itself reveals that this was a sin covering. Their sin left Adam and Eve exposed. They understood that. That's why when they took of the fruit, they realized that they were naked. All of a sudden, they realized lights go on, and they go, I'm a sinner. Something's seriously wrong with me. That was spiritual death. But God's provision covered them. It didn't pay for their sin yet. It just covered it. And the payment was to come. But this was all pointing the way to the coming Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. And so we have a sacrificial animal die in a sacrificial way for man's sin to cover it. But there is coming a Lamb, and has already come for you and I, who is the perfect Lamb of God who would not cover sin, but would pay for it. And then we have the promised blessing. Move with me to Genesis chapter 12, because all I'm doing for you now is I'm just pointing to uh, the promise, the promise of something to come, the promise of someone to come, the promise of redemption that has not yet taken place. It is about to happen, but in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, we looked at this last week. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, it says, I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and all and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. You see, what God told Abraham was, Abraham, I want you to understand something. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, remember I promised a victor. Remember I laid out the plan of a sacrificial lamb. And that has formed the basis of Abraham's worship. It has formed the basis of his practice of faith. Because now he's used to sacrificing, or he will be soon, as the Lord moves him. And now, he says, Abram, I want you to understand something. I'm going to reveal to you the next step, the next plan, in this, uh, this, this next process in the plan of this perfect plan of redemption. You see, the Lord is calculated and clear. All the people of the earth will be blessed because of one family. After the Tower of Babel, everybody spreads out. And as they spread out, God says, okay, I'm going to take this one family. In the midst of all of your rebellion, all of your sin, I'm going to take this family and I'm going to start to move through this family. And this family is going to receive tremendous blessings. But because of this family, you and I sit here today because we are blessed because of this family. You see, this blessing was an end of the sacrificial system which proved that sin was costly. It proved that you and I are going to sin. You see, it's not only an end to the sacrificial system, it is an end or a fulfillment of the law and the freedom from sin. As we consider the Lord's work in preparing sinful humanity for the gift of the promised one, you and I should both shudder. We should be so impacted by what God is doing. Because God was not taken off guard in the garden. God wasn't suddenly surprised. Wow, I can't believe they did that. God wasn't shocked by it. Before He even judges them, He wasn't even angry to the point of wrath. But rather, He said, I want you to understand that instead of irrational wrath, I have a plan already in place. And I'm going to give you the first part of it. We did not deserve it nor do we earn it. I want you to understand that completely. 
Adam and Eve didn't deserve God's mercy. They rebelled against the one law that they shouldn't have rebelled against. One law that they had to keep, and they rebelled against it. They didn't deserve God's mercy or grace. You and I don't deserve God's mercy or grace. Yet God, in His mercy and grace, gave it to them. He could have destroyed the entire planet and every living thing on it, but He didn't. He destroyed most, but He kept the righteous, and He kept the creatures that He had made so that you and I today could be redeemed. If that doesn't make you shudder, then you need to spend more time in the Word of God. We did not deserve it, nor do we earn it. But besides that, God continues to tell His people, usually at moments where they needed it the most, where He tells them, listen, pay attention, there's one coming. And we start in Isaiah chapter 7. Turn there with me, Isaiah chapter 7. You've probably heard this passage referenced, if, at least for the last eight years, uh, every Christmas season. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. We've already read it this morning in the New Testament as it's repeated by the Lord, but here it says, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and will bear a son. And she will call his name Emmanuel. You say, but yeah, we don't know if that was Jesus, though. The Lord did in Matthew chapter 1. He knew that that was Christ. And so here we have a recognition of the coming Emmanuel. For you and I, he's already come. But for Isaiah, he was yet coming. The coming Emmanuel. The times were not good in the context here for the nation of Israel. And has been the Lord's pattern. He reveals his presence the more intensely and more and more intensely during these times of trial. When man is struggling, when man is desperately wicked, God reminds them who He is. And He's doing that for the nation of Israel. It says, now the Lord reveals to the king, and this is the king who later turned against the Lord. This is Ahaz. The Lord reveals to Ahaz, and He says that there's one coming. This one who's coming, His name is Emmanuel. This one is going to be God with us. The child would be born the seed of a woman as he would be born of a virgin. I told you that the seed of a woman is an interesting study. This one is going to be born without the assistance of where the seed normally comes from, and that is the male. This one is going to be a child who is going to be God with us. This child would be God among us. A continued theme that is revealed here, and one that I think we do well to understand, is that the path and the purpose of the Lord will not be stopped. You and I cannot do anything about it. Adam and Eve could not do anything about it. Abraham could not do anything about it. Remember, we studied the contrast between Terah and Abraham last week. Terah rejected the Lord. He did what he wanted to do. And for 60 years, the only thing we get of him in recorded history is that he died. But Abraham, who was found faithful, not always, he sinned, But generally, he was found faithful in the Lord. Lived to a ripe old age, it tells us in Genesis chapter 25, and died full of life. What an amazing testimony. And here, 
we have the opportunity where we can be used of the Lord and God's plan will not be stopped. When you're challenged, remember the purpose of our study and train to disciple. The purpose is that we go out and we share the message, that we understand the main objective of our faith, and that is to do what Christ commanded us to do, to make disciples and to train them in all that the Lord has commanded us. You see, therefore, we must go out and share the faith. We must share the gospel message. You see, we must understand that the Lord will, we not, will not be stopped by your inability or undesiring to do so. His will will still be accomplished. You're going to miss out on some blessings. Many, many, many blessings. See, in times of trial, the presence of the Lord is more intensely felt. We have been challenged in this study to make disciples, to take the gospel message out into a world and to share it, to speak it and to show it. And that will bring hard times. That will bring hard times. But I want the Lord's blessing in hard times, not His wrath. Hard times will come regardless. You want to receive His blessings or His wrath? You see, for the believer, that's your choice. Because to refuse what God wants you to do, it's going to bring some really, really, really hard times. So you can receive His wrath or His blessing. But let me look just a little bit. Keep your finger here in Isaiah, but I want you to turn back to uh, Leviticus as we we see the purpose of it all. Why did he come? Why, Why did Emmanuel have to be with us? Leviticus chapter 11, verse 45. This is the purpose why he had to come. Because you and I failed in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 45. And not just us, everyone does says in verse 45, I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus you shall be holy, for I am holy. God told the people of Israel, you must be holy. Well, there's 620 some laws. The law's purpose, and it's more than those 600 laws, was to reveal that you and I are sinners by the standard. And that standard is God's holiness. And that is what we must attain to. Can we do it? Absolutely not. If you violate one of those 600 and some odd laws, if you violate one just once at one point in your life, you violated them all, you may as well have committed them all. We cannot obtain God's holiness without God with us. That's something that was known in the garden by the Lord Himself. That was something that when He told Adam and Eve, there's coming a victor, and He's going to, He's going to take Satan out. And then when he showed them the sacrificial system, God understood that you and I will not be holy unless God with us is part of us. And so he promises. He promises this spotless, this perfect lamb to free us from the penalty. So why did he come? What was his purpose? So that you and I could be holy. So that you and I could be holy and righteous in His eyes. Because without it, we can't spend eternity with Him in heaven. So now we move on back into Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9 now. As we see the coming King of Kings. This is the part I love. Because this expressly shows God's dominion. And authority. And sovereignty over our planet. The coming King of Kings. 
Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. And the scripture says, For a child will be born to us, and a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David or over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. I love that last phrase. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. You know what? You and I can't stop it. We can't prevent it, nor can we cause it to happen. The zeal of the Lord is what does that. You see, you and I can't go out and create some special aspect, a utopia of sorts on this planet and expect God to come back at that point. One, uh, if you've learned anything from Middle East politics, you understand peace isn't going to happen until he comes back. It's just not, I don't care how many envoys we send over there, it's just not going to happen. But what we understand is you and I can't usher it in because it's the zeal of the Lord of hosts that will. And we understand that not only do we have our payment satisfied by Christ, but God promised a lasting king on the throne of David. What an incredible blessing for the people of Israel. But what an incredible blessing for you and I. This king of kings is about to ascend to the throne and rule forever. And if you look at our world today, you could say it could be at any point where he comes back for his church and raptures us and seven years later sets this up. You see, for the believer, this reveals to us that God is not slow about his promises as some count slowness. No, he is calculated and he is precise. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will cause it to happen. But finally, we come to the provision. The provision. And turn, if you will, to the Gospel of John. It's a familiar passage to you and I, and so we're going to kind of go through it quickly. I'm running out of time, and so we will move through it quickly for you. But I want us to see a few things, because we go all the way back to the beginning. And I love the way John writes this. We go all the way back to the beginning, and he goes, By the way, let's start again with the first C. Let's go back to creation. And so he says this, John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. You see, here we have Christ at creation. The Word, which according to verses 14 and 17, which we're going to look at in a moment, is Christ Jesus, was active in the creation and everything that was made. Not only that, but nothing was made without His involvement. That includes Adam and Eve. Nothing was made without His involvement. You see, our Savior is our Creator. Our Savior is our Creator. This should bring relief, as only He knows what we truly need. We have a great and terrible need. And as believers, we celebrate it here in the table before me. But we understand that only He knows what truly that need is. This should bring passion as we realize that we are made by the One who saved us from the slave market of sin. He made us. When He could have turned His back on us, He saved us. So not only should it bring relief and it should bring passion, it should convict us of our own negligence. 
in making disciples who follow Him. So Christ was there at creation, but we also have His physical presence. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word that we see is Jesus Christ. Imagine John the Baptist's emotions, because John's preaching. John the Baptist is preaching. And imagine his emotions. We've already understood Adam and Eve's emotions. Now think about John the Baptist's emotions as he's preaching concerning the one who was coming after him. And we don't know the exact context, but uh, it appears that Jesus is coming to him because the very next aspect that we see here is John baptizing Christ. And so it appears that John is seeing Jesus walking towards him in the distance and knowing that he was standing in the presence of Emmanuel, God with us. You remember John knew that well before Jesus was even born. John knew that before John was born. And so John sees Jesus, and he sees Emmanuel. He sees God with us, and he says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glories of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, as John is seeing him, he goes, the end of the law is walking right there to us. We see the fulfillment of everything that was given to Moses, the 600 some odd laws. The fulfillment is coming to us full of grace and truth. You see, the law didn't have grace. Christ does. One of the most incredible events in a person's life that you and I can be a part of is that the moment when they accept Christ as their Savior. I've had the privilege to lead several of our teenagers uh, to the Lord over the past year. And it never, ever ceases to amaze me when all of a sudden the light goes on and they surrender their lives to their Savior. That wonderful realization that Christ, God with us, is present with them is beyond description. I can't even begin to put it into words for you. But I think that's what John felt that day as he saw God with us. John testifies that indeed Christ, the second member of the Trinity, fully God and fully man, had come among them. And it is amazing to me what he calls him, full of grace and truth. You see, the law had no grace. It had truth, but there was no grace. But Christ was full of grace and truth and is full of grace and truth. We say, okay, again, I have this question. What is the purpose of his coming? Look at verse 17. Because John tells us, John the Baptist tells us, and John the Apostle as well, says, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. You see, that's the purpose. That's the purpose. John makes clear that where the law was limited, our Lord and Savior is not. Where the law could do no more, Christ fulfills it. A faithful understanding of this, and we are able to reach a lost world for Christ. The law and good works is violated the first time you sin, and the perfection that is demanded is never again attainable. You cannot say, well, I know I sinned, but I'm going to go heap a bunch of good things over on this side and and balance out the scales. No, you break the law one time, you broke it permanently, and you can't ever attain it again. Christ came that we would not live under such a system. Where grace and truth collide, we find Christ. Christ came to do what the law could not do, save those 
that violated the law for the rest of eternity. A current trend in the church in America today is to push Christ's love, to push His mercy, to push His grace by doing the works of Christ, good service. And and that's important. But they forget and they remain silent on the message of Jesus Christ. See, they're, they're willing to do the work, but they're not willing to do the message. They're not willing to take the message. When we come before this sea, you and I must understand that Christ's coming meant grace and truth came to man. Because God came among us. The message of Christ is dripping throughout the history of the Word of God and the history of humanity. It is a full demonstration of God's incredible grace. Our greatest need is satisfied. This is the message that we share with the world because you and I are going to fail in showing Christ's love. Now, we should work so that we fail less, or we're going to fail. But it is this side. It is the message. It's not dependent upon us other than sharing it. And besides that, God's going to complete His work anyway. We can't stop it. We can assist in it, but we're not going to prevent it. God has given you and I the opportunity to do something absolutely incredible. And that is to be used in His plan. To be used in His purpose of redemption. To share grace and truth with those who do not know Him as Savior. I praise the Lord for each one of you because somebody did that with you. Now my question is, are you willing to be trained to disciple? To go make disciples? You have the message. You have the emphasis of why Christ came. Many people that I've encountered say, well, I'm doing good things. God's not going to let a good person die. Well, i got news for you. That's right. He's not. You're not a good person. You're a sinner who needs salvation. You need your Savior. As we bring this to a close, I want you to purify your hearts as we come before this table. I want you to think about those that this week you had contact with that you didn't share the message with. And I want you to endeavor for next week to not do that again. We've moved through many and most of our C's. This is part seven. That means we've moved through six of our eight C's. As we get to the end, we're getting more and more and more intense. And we're going to come to that final day, the final C in two weeks, where we talk about consummation. What a blessing that's going to be when you and I meet around this table with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's close this aspect in prayer. And I'm going to ask Elmer if you would join us with the elders as we come and we partake in the table. Father, I praise you because we have the opportunity today to hear the message of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we would be bold about sharing it, passionate about living it, recognizing that none of us are good enough to get to heaven unless we've come to know you as Savior. I pray that if there's one here today that has never come to know you as Savior, that today you would prick their heart in such a way that they would finally click and they would say, you know what? I've never trusted in Christ as my Savior. Lord, I pray that besides this, we have the opportunity this week to lead at least one person to Christ. And I praise you that we have the ability and the opportunity to be part of your kingdom. But I also praise you for your sovereignty 
that even though we will not participate at different times, you still move forward. And there will be a day when that last person, the one you're waiting for, will come to know you as Savior. Lord, we wait eagerly for that day as we prepare to spend eternity with you in heaven. Lord, we love you and we thank you for it. Purify our hearts and our minds as we come before this table now. In your son's name we pray. Amen.